sound speed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Through the Frame. I'm your host, Jesse Carosi, and this podcast has been brought to you by the HPA. For those that are not familiar with the HPA, please check us out online at hpaonline.com. It's a nonprofit member association that connects businesses and individuals. There are several committees, all led by high-end professionals, dedicating their time for the betterment of the industry. These committees create virtual and in-person events and many educational opportunities. More virtual these days, of course, considering we're all isolating. But for anyone new to this podcast, please check out episode one for a more in-depth breakdown of who I am and what the HPA is all about. But let's get on with the show. So here with us today is a workflow supervisor, dailies aficionado, world traveler, who's a very dear friend of mine, who's also worked on jobs like Gentified, Shrill, The Great Wall, Treadstone, Bluff City Law, Krypton, The Society, Wine Country, Star Trek Discovery, Rachel McIntyre. Welcome to the show, Rachel. <laughs> Thanks. Happy to be here. Awesome. Did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, I worked on all those shows. <laughs> All right, so for all of our listeners, today's podcast is less about one particular workflow, although we will talk about Treadstone, but more about today's reality with no smoke and mirrors about remote dailies work. So what I'd love to get into with you, Rachel, is some of the experiences you've had and tips to share, considering I think you've traveled in general quite a lot compared to most people while also setting up more remote labs than anyone I think I've ever heard of. Sure. Yeah, I do travel a lot, both for fun and for work. For work, let's see, I've been to three continents, uh, six different countries, as well as a lot of different cities within the United States. But I also just love to travel. So I've been to all seven continents, 41 countries. Ever since I was younger, I wanted to work in the television industry and travel. And I was fortunate enough to find this really random job that lets me do both. That's awesome. Yeah, and and usually once someone goes through the experience, I'll call it, of traveling for work for the first time, usually (laughs) you either love it or hate it. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, there's very little middle ground. (laughs) Yeah. Considering we're talking about dailies, I think a good place to start would be the term dailies can mean different things to commercials, scripted episodic versus reality TV to different vendors and companies, it can mean different things. So why don't you introduce what dailies mean in your job and the segment you work in? Uh, yeah, sure. Sort of my, my canned answer that I use for taxi cabs and people who don't work in the industry, <laughs> family members. Everything that gets shot during the day, we process overnight. We sync the sound, we add the scene and take info, and then we render out smaller files for the editors to use, and then we render out web files for the producers to look at. And that's sort of it in its most basic form. A lot of what I do is actually none of what I just said. It's more the organization setting up the job, um, <laughs> setting up the job so that the uh, the dailies tech can do all the things that I just said. And I coordinate with all the departments, uh, sound, script supervisor, DP, DIT, if they have one or the loader, if they don't. I talk to the people in post-production. If there's VFX pulls, I talk to the VFX vendors. Um, If we're doing the online in-house, I talk to the online people. Um, It's a lot of communication with a lot of different departments. A big part of my job is color workflow, making sure it looks good on set all the way through the final color finished product. So working with the DP and the DIT uh, will match our monitors so that our dailies monitor matches the monitors they have on set so that we know we're looking at the same thing. 
if they're using any custom LUTs or any specific LUTs for the show, I make sure we have those in our dailies system. And then we discuss how much color work the dailies tech will do. Every show is different. Some DPs like to have total control. This is the look. Don't touch it. Some DPs have a bunch of different looks and they want different looks applied for different scenes. And then some DPs don't have the luxury or the budget to have as much color control and the dailies tech may not necessarily make creative color decisions, but will, you know, match all the shots so that they all blend together and apply any notes the DP may have. Interesting. Yes, you really have to be a Swiss Army knife at that point to do this job. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about the color thing, too, because I feel like on one hand, in my experience, it's been the DP and the positions that have been put onto the show. But sometimes, depending on where they're shooting, that seems to make a difference as well. Like in Toronto, there's an interesting process here where whether you're live grading or not, everybody is downloading the files, coloring in something like Resolve, and then sending a project file with every single shot colored, whereas a lot of other markets and cities I've been to... That's not really the case. Yeah, it does vary a lot depending on a location and depending on the location, the crew available. Most places I've traveled to have a really good local crew, but sometimes if you're, you know, in the middle of the jungle or something, uh, you may not have the option of having a resolve project. You just have to shoot with what you got. (laughs) Yeah. And then deal with the color farther down the line. For sure. Okay, well, why don't we talk a little bit about Treadstone? As I understand, you traveled to work on that job, right? Yeah, actually, I got to travel twice for that job. That was a lot of fun. I went to spend nine weeks in Budapest in total. Nine weeks? Yeah, in total. It was uh, six weeks for the pilot, and then I went back again for three weeks um, to start up the season one. I see. And so with that one being in Budapest, you only speak English, right? I only speak English. I have a little bit of a few other languages. Um, I have conversational Spanish. Oh, okay. But that's not helpful in any way in uh, in Hungary. Sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of language barriers with that show in particular. I see. Yeah, a lot of the production crew speaks both English and Hungarian. I always was able to grab someone to help me translate. But there were definitely some, like, when our gear arrived, the delivery guy didn't speak any English. And so I had to track someone down to tell him where to put the stuff and sign all the papers. Yeah, especially with the amount of people that you just said you have to coordinate with. Yeah. Not being able to speak the local language. I guess it depends on how much American crew are being traveled in, right? So on this one in particular, was it a lot of American crew that traveled in to Budapest or were they hiring many locals? This one was a, mostly locals. It was actually probably the most locals of any travel job I've done. A lot of the the above the line talent and producers came from uh, the U.S. And then I know that the um, VFX team, most of them were Canadian, but everyone else was Hungarian. Interesting. And so I guess let's take a step back before you traveled, before you got on a plane, how much lead time were you given for the job? And I'm curious what kind of intel you usually receive before getting on a plane? That's a good question. This job was kind of unique. We knew about it coming up, but we didn't officially have the job. So from the time we were officially awarded the job to the day I left, I think was three days, which is not the ideal amount of time. You, I like to have at least a week of prep before I travel, but that's not always possible. 
the bare minimum I need, I need a crew list and I need a production schedule at the bare minimum. And that way I can start reaching out to people. But, you know, the more information, the better. If I'm able to get the uh, camera type and format that we're shooting with, I'll try and get some either footage from another show or shoot some test shots with that same camera um, so that we have some footage we can do dry runs with for practicing and making sure that that footage works with our software. Those are the things I like to have at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's not always possible. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people don't fully comprehend just how nimble the lab needs to be in in regards to installing last minute software. Like I was on a show in Vancouver and I knew when I was going there, okay, it's going to be Airy Raw, no big deal. Turns out, oh, we're actually converting to ARX using the high density encoding and all of a sudden I needed a brand new build of software that was beta that had never been used. And all of these other things that I had tested before I got on the road and knew, okay, the system's all good, everything seems to be working. You throw in this giant wrench of brand new software that could trip everything else up. And it's it could even happen in the middle of the job. I, I think that, you know, we'd all love it if we could sign off on this is all of the various software we use like you would in finishing. Like in a traditional finishing facility, it's often a big deal changing versions of a software, whereas you have to kind of roll with the punches. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that's um, you have to be in good communication with the people who make the software so they can get you that beta version. Um, that's happened to me several times. I did a show in Boston where the camera tests were done here in LA, but then the camera prep was in Boston and the um, firmware version on the cameras in Boston was newer than the one that they had done the test on. So we had to last minute get a new build, (laughs) you know, I think two days before production began. Yeah. And in that situation, who knows what other bugs were reintroduced or new issues that arise because you're updating. It's crazy. And a lot of people think that it's just the format or the code that could require this but yeah like you said it could just be that the camera was upgraded yeah and that I actually had that happen mid-show kind of like you said uh, there was a camera body that had got sent back to the camera house and when it was returned they had updated the firmware on that one but not the other ones on set and um, we had to get a new build which you know getting a new build of software also introduces yourself to a whole new range of bugs especially cuz it's a beta version so anytime there's a new version you got to sort all those quirks out as quick as possible yeah and sometimes they might not even be bugs last week i had this situation arise where i had to update the software i was using because of a new camera format that came out so i had to update to a, a a brand new build and the way in which that it handled Sony Venice was different in the sense that the pixel padding, the way that it was dealt with in the previous version, it would not auto crop it out and then you'd update to the new version and then it does auto crop it out. So if you use all the same settings and you do everything the exact same way, all of a sudden your framing is going out wrong. So like there's little things like this that I don't think people realize as well. It's not just bugs, it's, it's changes to the way the software works sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there a common place where you often set up the lab? Not really. About I'd say about half the time um, it's in the production office somewhere. Oftentimes they're able to secure us a room, but not always, depending on where it is. So a lot of times we'll use like um, rent, you know, short-term rentals, um, like a Regis facility. I know we've done Airbnbs before. 
Anywhere that we can set up our gear that's hopefully dark, if we can black out windows or if it has no windows, and somewhere that has fast internet. That's sort of one of our main concerns when starting up a job is what is the internet speed. I suppose that may often just dictate where you have to go, right? Yeah, yeah. As often as we can, we try and get fast internet speed. Treadstone, for example, was a show where we were working out of the production office but did not have great internet speeds. But luckily, the time difference worked for us on that show. Um, (laughs) So we were still able to deliver on time, even though it was slow. Gotcha. In episode one of this podcast with Ben, he actually set up in a school for Gemini Man, which was pretty funny. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I set up in uh, in a stadium once in an arena. And all of the production offices were the skyboxes of the arena. What? Yeah. That's really cool. What job was that? Lincoln Rhyme, The Hunt for the Bone Collector. Ah, cool. Yeah. The first time I ever traveled, (laughs) funny enough, I was sent to New York. And when I went there, I knew that I was going into this building and told, just keep it hush-hush. It's no big deal. Now, this was a long time ago. This had to be eight years ago now. It was the first time our company had ever done a travel job. And I actually had to set up inside our main competitor's office. (laughs) The production office was actually located within their building. But I had been advised not to tell them I was there. It was super weird. Every time I'd be on the elevator going up and down, I'd see (laughs) their team going up or down with tape stalker things and I'd always kind of have to put my head down and worry that they'd recognize me and (laughs) be stealth about the whole situation and the worst part was they had great internet in the building but I couldn't tap into it because then they'd know that we were bling at the time was in the building so I had to actually send (laughs) a runner every day down to a co-location that was on Wall Street so that we could actually move the media. (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious i'm familiar with the the hiding in plain sight (laughs) all right so have there been any lessons learned over the years that you think may be worth sharing for anyone tuning in that hasn't traveled for this kind of work before and may have something coming up Uh, (laughs) that could be three podcasts by itself um crucial things to understand especially for international jobs Uh, power. Everything we do is run on computers. And if we, for example, for Treadstone, we ship all our American gear to Hungary, which is in Europe. They have different plugs and they have different amount of voltage that the average plug uses. So we have to bring our own converters and plug adapters. Uh, When I was doing Krypton in Belfast, I definitely blew up at least two power strips uh, by plugging them in incorrectly. And then they start smoking. Oh, no. Um, I don't, I don't recommend doing that, um, <laughs> but it was, it was a good lesson <laughs> to learn. And, and communication, I think, is the big one, which seems like it should be obvious, but I'd rather be woken up in the middle of the night for a silly problem than get a good night's sleep and then wake up and have a producer yelling at me like, why were dailies delayed? Why is this color wrong? Why, you know, a million different things that could go wrong. So, you know, reaching out like, hey, we got the the final drop of the day and there's no audio. So we need to reach out to the different people and be like, hey, can you get us this audio tonight? If they can't, you have to, you know, let producers know, let people know. Just always staying on top of the communication is really, really critical and doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So then are there any contingency plans you normally put in place for gear or anything with shipments? Yeah, for for international jobs, I always bring at least one extra of every cable, usually more. Power strips, you always need at least one more. 
no matter how much <laughs> you you make sure you have everything you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I always bring one of those. I always bring extra USBs of all varieties, Thunderbolts, because you never know, especially in other countries, like where they're at with drives and drive connections. Yeah, or could you even pick that up at a local Best Buy or something? Maybe not. Yeah, you you can. So it so in Budapest, I definitely had to go to their local uh, media market, is what it was called, and buy cables. Um, and then stuff that just doesn't make sense to fly, like printers, things like that, I'll buy out there. Are you usually carrying a laptop or something in hand as well, just in case for whatever reason, the computer that you're shipping, because it weighs so much more, you're not carrying that on. But are there other things you're carrying on to the plane? Yeah, I mean, I always have my personal laptop and my work laptop. I have definitely used, for our LTO systems, they run off a separate computer than our daily stations. And I've definitely used the LTO laptop for dailies before. That Boston show I talked about earlier, on day one, the CPU decided that it was over life. And um, so we had to <laughs> quickly, quickly put everything on the laptop, which was much slower, but we were able to get the dailies out and ship in a new CPU the same day. In Budapest, we had a CPU die, and actually one of our dailies techs um, was able to provide us with one because internationally shipping new gear is a lot of paperwork and it has to clear customs. And so it was just faster to get stuff locally rather than wait for it to be shipped in due to time constraints. Yeah, it makes sense. I think one other thing that's worth noting for any of the production managers or producers tuning in is often when you work locally, you'll have the lab or whatever post facility you're using will often have resources that you might not have remotely. As an example, card readers. It's not that uncommon that if something happens on set and the files can't be downloaded or there's actually corruption that's noticed, the cards would literally get shipped to the lab and they'd say, can you see what you can do before we send this back as an example to Ari or Red or whoever to see if they can fix it or uh, actually get the files off. But in these situations, when there's someone doing the loading on set, I think it's common that the lab might not have that kind of card reader. They might for little ancillary cameras and things like that. But if you're shooting on Codex mags, those things are expensive. Now, maybe they'll have a hockey puck, but I wouldn't bank on it. You know, those dual SAS readers, as an example, are super expensive. I don't know the exact number, but it's it's like it's over 10K, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I always do bring sort of generic, you know, SD, micro SD, CF, CF2, whatever. Uh, I always have a card reader for that. But um, some of those larger ones, if they are shooting stuff like that, I'll ask them to send the card reader along with the dailies drive uh, whenever possible. And then we try and get that back to them, you know, the next day in case they need it again. Oh, like as an example, if they say, hey, there's a damaged card coming your way, you say, okay, great, send the card reader along with it, and I'll get it back to you in the morning, or whenever you can. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Okay, so how long do you normally stay on location? And I guess, how long were you specifically on location for Treadstone? Uh, For Treadstone, like I said, it was six weeks for the pilot. It was supposed to be four, but it got extended. And then it was three weeks uh, for the startup of season one. I see. But yeah, it really depends a lot on the complexity of the show. Like if you're hiring local dailies techs, which we usually try and do, how much training do they need? Um, Are they familiar with software? If not, it's a shorter time. 
and then how comfortable the both the client is and myself with how everything's going like if we do a startup everything's fine like okay i can fly home uh if we do a startup and we're having a lot of issues you know technical whatever I'll usually stay longer to iron everything out and make sure it's going smooth, just so everyone feels comfortable with me leaving. Yeah. So for these jobs that continue after you leave and head home, how does this work for managing those local technicians and any problems that have come up? Communication is everything. Keeping in touch with the client, keeping in touch with the tech. Also, dailies techs usually work at night, and so I'll remote in during the daytime and check their work and look for any problems I might see. Um, if they have questions, you know, technical issues in the middle of the night, I'd much rather have them call me than not. Just constant communication, addressing issues that arise. And then if everything's going smooth and everything's quiet, sort of checking in, being like, hey, what's going on? I, you know, we haven't heard anything. I see. How's it going? <laughs> and we talked a little bit about various curveballs that could come up based on new cameras being shot. But I guess in this situation, you've left. You're now remote. Ancillary cameras probably pop up all the time, right? That need to be oh, yeah. worked on. Constantly. Someone's like, oh, I grabbed a GoPro today because why not? Or the actor shot this footage using their own phone. Here it is. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> make it work. <laughs> so, For any camera vendors, people that work for camera companies tuning in, I really think we should, right now while we're on this topic, we should address this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if, if the companies are aware of this or if they just feel like, wow, this is our lower end of the spectrum for our camera line, all good. But what allows a conform to work? Because you have to understand that these high-end shows, they're not editing with the files that come off the camera. We make dailies. And therefore, the offline editing process is smooth. There's no playback issues, etc. Or they might even shoot at the wrong frame rate on these cameras. But... It's a unique file name and time code. Back in the day, you used to require embedded tape names, but we don't even need that anymore. Now it's just a unique file name and time code. It sounds like a simple thing to do, but it's crazy how many cameras we get that are ancillary cameras that aren't unique or simply don't have time code. Yeah, that, that's the one that blows my mind is like the lack of time code just seems silly. Yeah, and, and what's annoying about that is you know, you might think, oh, no big deal. It's just going to be one hour when you render things out or it's going to all start at zero. Well, it depends what software you're in. I've seen situations where in DaVinci, the time code comes up at one hour and then you pull it into a different application and the time code reads at a different time. So maybe one is one hour because that's what Resolve is set to default to if there's no time code. And then maybe QuickTime or Nuke or whatever other application is defaulted to zero. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it won't conform. So what I'm not sure that you guys realize is that we're making new masters. Yeah. We're not using your camera's files to finish the show. That should concern you. We, like, we literally have to create new files and then make dailies from those because your files that are coming off of these ancillary cameras are literally unusable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess with these travel jobs being as demanding as they are for anyone that's thinking about taking one of these on, do you ever have time to yourself? I do, usually. Totally depends on the complexity of the job and the skill of the tech 
the dailies tech how much time I spend working, but I always, always, always try and carve out time to do something for myself, usually on weekends, just because I like to be available during weeknights in case there's an issue. You know, even just like going out to a restaurant rather than eating in my hotel room, your hotel room can turn into a very bleak place, as I'm sure we're all kind of experiencing now in quarantine. Particularly when I was in Malaysia, um, just felt like my hotel room was like almost the only other place I could go. I was either at work or in the hotel, and it was very depressing not being able to go out um, for safety reasons there. It got depressing towards the end, so trying to stave off depression is, you know, going out, trying things, and I just love to travel, as we've talked about, and so it's like, oh, if I'm in Budapest, I'm a three-hour bus ride from Vienna. I'm a two-hour bus ride from Bratislava. Uh, me and my dailies tech on our last weekend to celebrate, we flew to Venice and, uh, you know, ate a bunch of Italian food and drank wine and enjoyed the city. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No matter how hard the week was, you're like, great, look where we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that can also be exhausting. You know, we left, he was basically got off his shift, got off a bus. We left, we came back Sunday and then I had to start my shift right away. So it's also like in Bratislava, I had to uh, remote into another show to troubleshoot something. And then my dailies tech went out with some other people and I stayed in because I was just like, you know what? I just need a good night's sleep tonight. Making choices <laughs> like that are important Yeah. because a lack of sleep, no matter how good you are, you'll make mistakes <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, for sure. I suppose not every travel job requires you to have a team on the ground. Have you ever worked on a job where you didn't even hire or send in a local team. Instead, you just piped the camera masters back to your brick and mortar office to do the work from there. I've never done a full job like that. I've heard of a few, but none that I've worked on personally. But that happens a lot with like remote units or uh, Star Trek, you know, shoots in Toronto. They did uh, three weeks of an L.A. unit for season one. And so all of that stuff got sent to Toronto to be processed. At that point, you're still using the same team to work on it, even though it's now a travel unit. Yeah, same team. The, the t it's the team who knows the show to process the dailies rather than like, what's the look of the show? What's all the deliverables? You know, the original team has everything set up, their specs all ready to go. So for Treadstone, for example, did a ton of foreign unit stuff. I actually made workflow documents for the main unit, then for the Norway unit and the Hong Kong unit on the pilot. And then I know the, um, the regular season, they traveled all over the place as well. And we're basically like, okay, here's our specs. This is what we're shooting. This is what we want. This is how we want it. So that when they are shooting, they shoot everything how we want it to be. And then they'll send it back to us. Although that we did receive drives for, in that specific example, it wasn't piped to us due to internet availability and speeds. It was faster to ship drives. Yeah, I think it's all about how long you'll be on those locations for situations like that sometimes where, you know, it's 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 tough to get a contract at some facility or even get a co-location if you're talking about going for a couple days. Yeah, especially intercontinental um, shoots. I know when I was in um, Asia uh, doing dailies, to send stuff back to LA was relatively fast, but we had to send stuff to a VFX vendor in Europe, and that was much slower. Yeah, even a lot of the technology for that has drastically improved. 
Um, often whenever we're setting up share portals with Signient and we're using Amazon as an example for the storage for that, those various regions that you can set up that share portal so that it is more convenient for the person downloading versus just everything being hosted as an example in the West Coast of the US. Yeah, right. Awesome. Well, with tax incentives popping up all over the place, high-speed internet being a little easier to find, and traveling crew for remote locations no longer being super uncommon, once we get out of quarantine and isolation, I'm sure we'll continue to see more and more of these remote labs being set up. Until one day, maybe when we have the neg going straight into the cloud and this work can be done from anywhere, <laughs> but I think we're still a little ways away from that. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time and your words of wisdom, Rachel. Hopefully soon these self-isolation restrictions will be lifted and you can keep chipping away at the remaining 154 countries yet to be visited by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a long list of things to do. <laughs> awesome. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Your support is very much appreciated. Just a reminder for anyone that is new to what the HPA is, please check us out at hpaonline.com. There are several virtual events going on right now, providing content and education for everyone stuck at home. And keep an eye on social media for the reveal of what our next episode will be, as well as who my next guest will be. Until then, that's a wrap. Mm -hmm.